We're continuing our series on uh, Earn, Save, and Give, which is uh, John Wesley's Simple Rules for Financial Management. Uh, the first week we talked about the need for, for more wisdom in doing that. The second week we talked about earning or gaining all we can. And this week we're going to be talking about, or, and we also talked about saving all we can. This week we're talking about giving all we can. But I'm hoping again this week will be a different look on a, on a topic that I know you've heard a lot about. And us as preachers, we're always told, stop talking about money. You talk, all you do is talk about money. And, and we don't know that we talk about money a lot, but it seems like that way to you guys, I guess. But I'm hoping that this is a little different angle on looking at the idea of giving from what you may have experienced in the past. We're using Wesley's sermons, or his sermon number 29, as a guide for this, and it's On the Use of Money is his title. He doesn't have very creative sermon titles, but he had a set of 52 standard sermons that he would give to his local pastors, and, and that's what they would preach from. They would read John Wesley's or present John Wesley's sermons, and at the end of 52, then they would go back to one, and they would start the cycle all over again. Some weeks, frankly, just reading a sermon sounds really good about Thursday when I have no idea what's going to come out. But nonetheless, we're going to use John Wesley's sermon a little bit today. And I'll apologize to the ladies of the church in advance because keep in mind this was written in 1760. So it's quite masculine, masculine language. And I'll I'll let you all make those changes rather than me struggling with that and the Old English. John Wesley says that we are to earn and save all we can. And here's how he opens this part of his sermon. But let not any man imagine that he has done anything barely by going this far, by gaining and saving all he can if he were to stop there. All is nothing if a man go not forward, if he does not point all this at a farther end. We're moving toward a farther end. Nor indeed can a man properly be said to save anything if he only lays it up. You may as well throw your money into the sea as bury it in the earth. You may as well bury it in the earth as in a chest or in the Bank of England or in J.P. Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase. Not to use is effectual to throw it away. We are to use it. If therefore you would indeed make yourselves friends of mammon of unrighteousness, if we would make ourselves friends of money of those who earn it in unrighteous ways, if we would make ourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, add the third rule to the two preceding. Having first gained all you can, and secondly saved all you can, then give all you can. And honestly, when you think about that, the math doesn't work. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Seems to add up to more than 100% to me. Can't quite get my brain around how that works. But if we look at what Wesley is saying, he's saying, earn all you can by good and faithful ways. 
save all you can, not by putting it in a savings account or an IRA or, or a CD or a mutual fund, but save all you can in how you provide and live your life. Wesley found out that he could live on about 28 pounds each year. So some, some years he made 30 pounds and he had two pounds left over. Other years, Wesley found ways, mostly through publishing, and he made a lot more money than that. But he continued to live on around 28 pounds each year, and then he would give away all the rest. He died with just a couple of coins in his pocket, but Wesley, over the course of his lifetime, gave away 30,000 pounds, which in today's money would be about $3 million. Not bad on a preacher's salary. Wesley gave it all away. Keep in mind, he was not married and didn't have any children to leave it to, so he gave it all away. So in Wesley's perspective is earn all you can, save all you can by being prudent and frugal, and then give all you can of what's left over. It might be rather said, give all that you have of what's left over. Today we're going we're gonna to look at the story of Zacchaeus and how this has to do with giving how many of you guys, what, what parts of, about Zacchaeus do you know? The song, he was short, I heard. A tree. You guys were here the first service, so you don't cheat now. He was a tax collector. Wasn't very nice, wasn't well liked, right? Anything else? So most of what we know about Zacchaeus, we know because of the song, right? This song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Okay. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord You guys have to sing with me if we're going to do this. And if we're going to do that, then we might as well do the motions too. So get your hands ready, okay? Here we go. Hit it again. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. I don't see everybody doing it. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. All right, that was pretty good, but you got one more chance now. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. For many of us, give yourselves a hand clap there. That was your audition for leading in preschool Sunday school. Most of what we know about Zacchaeus is from the song, right? Or from the story that we learned in VBS or Sunday school or heard somewhere. Look at, we're going to look at Zacchaeus from a little different bent today. I've often wondered why Zacchaeus was up in the tree to begin with. You know, he was a, was a short man, and he wanted to see Jesus. But why, 
Why did he want to see Jesus at all? And in those days, for a man to do anything, who was, who was clothed in robes, to do anything but to walk righteously, men didn't run. They didn't pull up their garments and run. That was in an emergency or brought unrighteousness to them. So certainly climbing up in a tree would not be something that would be looked upon well. So what was Zacchaeus doing and why was he looking for Jesus? I'm going to submit to you that I think, based on Luke chapter 5, that Zacchaeus may have met Jesus earlier. You'll remember this scripture. It says, Jesus went and saw a tax collector named Levi. That's, that's Matthew. We hear Matthew's gospel. Matthew was sitting at a kiosk collecting taxes. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up and left everything behind and followed him. Then Levi threw a great banquet, threw a great party for Jesus in his house. A large number of tax collectors and others sat down to eat with them. The Pharisees and their legal experts grumbled against his disciples. They said, why do you eat, with, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to change their hearts and their lives. What if, what if Zacchaeus was amongst that group of Levi's friends for that party? What if he had met Jesus and maybe for the first time in his life or in his adult life, someone was speaking and saying, you know, you are significant. You are important. You are not just a tax collector who is held under the thumb of the Roman government and despised by your Jewish neighbors. You are not only this guy who is not trusted and, and, and not uh, held accountable and not liked and not welcome in the synagogue, but no, you are a child of God. What if that he had had that experience around that table? What if, what if he had experienced a community where all people could experience God's transforming grace right there with Levi and Jesus and the disciples? What if that was where he encountered Jesus for the first time? Now we fast forward to Luke 19, and, and Jesus has been teaching his disciples. He's been healing. He's been, he's been going all around Galilee and Judea and teaching and sharing about the kingdom of God that is to come. And then he is walking down the road toward Jericho where Zacchaeus lived, and he was passing through the town, and, and Zacchaeus was there. And he was, he was trying. He wanted to see Jesus. But he was short, and he, so he got up into the tree because he couldn't see because of the crowd. And as Jesus was coming by, Jesus called up, and he saw Zacchaeus there. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I'm going to stay in your home tonight. And, and Zacchaeus came down, and he was happy to welcome Jesus. And then, like the previous, the previous passage, people were grumbling and they were saying that uh, he was a guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. 
then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. That's an important statement for, for Zacchaeus to hear who was not Roman and considered an outcast from the Jews. But Jesus said, no, you are a son of Abraham. And the human one, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Hannah, will you back up one slide? I want you all to look at the, the end of this slide. Lord, look, I give half my possessions. In there, in this English translation, I give is a present tense action. I give. It's not I have given or I will give, but I give. And then I repay. Same thing, it's a present day action. This isn't something new, I don't think, that Zacchaeus has just started doing. Zacchaeus has had a heart transformation experience. Zacchaeus has had a mind transforming experience. And now he's had a financial transforming experience because he's giving half of his possessions to the poor and he's repaying those who cheat him. I think Zacchaeus was a part of that dinner party with Levi in chapter 5. You see, Zacchaeus, he didn't earn this salvation by giving. It was rather a response to God's extravagant love. He gave extravagantly because God gave extravagantly. And it became real to him by moving from gaining and saving all he could to giving all he could. Actually giving all he had. He was responding to God's love. Hear this. Zacchaeus discovered that there is more to life than earning and saving. He experienced salvation. And his witness underscores the deep reality that salvation is not merely a spiritual experience that prepares us for life after death. Salvation is the way God transforms every area of our lives so that we become part of God's saving work in this world. Salvation changes our hearts by changing the fundamental orientation of our living, including the way that we use money. It sets us free from bondage to narrow self-interests and, and opens our lives to the way of the Spirit of God and the way it can be used through and in us in our lives for others. Friends, salvation is, salvation is about a lot more than money, but it is never anything less than money, particularly in a culture that is compulsively driven by the power of money. A culture in which money has so much awesome power and it can be used as a blessing or it can be used as a curse, as a gracious gift when we manage it for God's sake or as a demonic tyrant that manages us for its own sake. Martin Luther was the reformer, the theologian of the 16th century, brought us the Protestant Reformation. And he is said to believe that there's our, there are three conversions that lead to faith. First, there's a conversion of the heart. Secondly, there's a conversion of the mind. Now, some of you guys... That may reverse for some of you. Some of you might have come to faith through 
the mind first and wanting to understand all the logistics and the beliefs, and then it would transfer into a heart. But usually the heart and mind are the first two. And Luther goes on to say the third conversion, the third conversion is the conversion of the purse or the conversion of the wallet, the conversion of the bank account. And many have said that is the most difficult conversion of them all. There's a writer, a group of writers, Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wudon wrote a book called uh, A Path Appears. And they researched generosity. They researched generosity and how it affects those who are giving. He said, ultimately, that it becomes good for us as givers. It's a source of joy. And ends up having more impact on the giver than it does on those who receive. And that's what happened with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus learned that he was being impacted more through the giving of half of his possessions and the repaying of those who he had offended. He was getting impacted more. He was experiencing the salvation of Christ through his giving, through his faithfulness. So what about us? Wesley gives us some steps here. I'm going to refer back to the sermon again. Gives us four steps in this next part of his sermon. See if you can pick them out. The directions which God has given us touching the use of our worldly substance may be comprised in the following particulars. If you desire to be a faithful and a wise steward out of that portion of your Lord's goods, which he has for the present lodged into your hands, but with the right of resuming whatever it ple- re- resuming it or re- retaking it whenever it pleases him. First, first provide things needful for yourself. Food to eat, raiment to put on, clothes to put on, whatever nature moderately requires for preserving the body in health and strength. Secondly, provide these for your wife, your children, your servants, and any others who pertain to your household. If when this is done, there will be an overplus left, then do good to them that are in the household of faith. If there is an overplus still, as you have opportunity, do good unto all men. In doing so, you give all you can. Nay, in a sound sense, you give all you have. For all that is laid out in this manner is really given to God. You render unto God the things that are God's, not only by what you give to the poor, but also by what you expend in providing things needful for yourself and your household. So in today's language, the, the, the four steps that Wesley gives us is that we are to care, take care of the things that we need. And we are to take care of the things that our family needs when we are giving. Now he has a caveat on there. He says we're to do that with reasonability and moderately. I don't know if any of you were ever fans of uh, the show House Hunters. Used to like to watch that show, and I, you know, kind of always interesting the different prices around the different parts of the country, and but I always got kind of amused 
in, as I'd grown in our marriage and, and thinking back to our early life, but these newlyweds that are married and they're 20-something and they're out shopping for a house and they're desiring, what, what, do they, what do they need to have on their must-have list? It was like, you know, we need five bedrooms plus a den. We need granite countertops for sure. 42-inch cabinets, you know, uh, a shower and a separate uh, uh, jetted tub, you know. And I'm looking at them like, seriously? You know? Anybody think and remember the first places you lived as a married couple, right? We had two bedroom, we had a two bedroom house that we really shouldn't have had because it was more than we could afford, which had no central air conditioning in the land in central Florida. But it was a really cute house. <laughs> and you know what? The, the landlord gave me $50 off the rent each month if I mowed the one and a half acre lot. That was a really dumb idea because I didn't own a lawnmower. But we all have those things, you know, back when we can look back and say, well, what, what do we really reasonably need? You know, and even now we can look at that. I, I, I have some vices in my life that I like to have. I, I love Mac and Apple products. Do I need to have a MacBook Pro to do my job? No, but I really like a MacBook Pro. I can do a lot of stuff on it. I can do it easily, but I could do it on a PC desktop too. Or, you know, or, or making the decision if we buy a, a new car or if we buy one that's three or four years older and save several thousand dollars doing that. Or for that matter, if we decide, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I'm going to step on some toes. If we buy the Toyota or do we have to have the Lexus version of the Toyota, right, that costs another $10,000 on top of the Toyota version. You know, I love, we love having a pool in South Florida. I miss my pool a lot. But, you know, I don't need a pool. In fact, we got, what, four, five, six pools around Fishhawk that we can go and use. And it's not my own pool, but I got a pool. So Wesley says to, to take care of the things you need, take care of the things that your family needs, but be reasonable and with moderation in how we do that. That's hard to do in these days and times. It's hard to do, but it is possible. And then we give to the church, and we give to other opportunities. If that's not enough for you, Wesley gives you some other, some other questions to answer. Wesley is always good with questions in helping you examine your spirit. He asks these questions. They're going to be on the screen. If you're having a hard time deciding, should I spend the money on this, or should I not spend the money on this? He says, am I acting according to my character? Am I acting herein not as a proprietor, as an, as an owner, but as a steward of the Lord's goods? So if you make it through that question, then you can ask this question. Am I doing this in obedience to his word? In what scripture does he require me to do so? So granite countertops. Let's look through and find granite countertops in the scripture where we have to have granite countertops. No, okay. Love granite countertops. I don't know where it is in the scripture. It's okay to have granite countertops, but we have to ask what's moderate, what's reasonable. Third question, they're getting harder. Can I offer this action, this expense, as a sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ? Can I offer my MacBook Pro 
to God as a sacrifice. Well, as a preacher, I could probably make that work. I could, you know, you know, I, I write some sermons. I do some good, you know. Preachers can make the, anything work if they need to. Okay, so is it, all, is it a sacrifice to God? Fourthly, here's a, here's a good one. If you make it through those first four questions, then you got this. Have I reason to believe that this very work, this expense, this purchase, for this purchase I will have a reward at the resurrection of the just? For this purchase, will, will Jesus look at me and go, well done, good and faithful servant. That was a really good car purchase. Or that was a, you know, I don't want to, and, and I don't want to be unrealistic about what our life is like. We have certain things that we have to provide. And we can laugh about this a little bit. But I think we all, if we really are serious, there are times when we can look at our lives and say, okay, I have these two options, and this is really all I need. But I really want this. And you know, if you, if you can afford it, then great. If you can afford it and you are taking care of your family and you're taking care of yourself and you're able to give to the household of faith and you're able to give to other, other entities as well, then great, it's okay. But if we're doing that at the sacrifice of our financial stability, if we like this product and we like this one, but this one that's more expensive, you know, well, can you put, um, can you put half of it on my debit card and then I need to get, can you do me a loan for this? You know, if we're doing that kind of thing, then it's probably not a good choice if we're sacrificing the health, really the health of ourselves and our family to have something that's a little better when something of moderation would work. So I don't mean to make light of this because this is a very serious and difficult thing. And it's choices, daily choices that we all face in every decision we make. But Wesley gives us some guidelines of how we might approach that. And ultimately, this is between you and God and me and God and, and how we handle our purchases, how we decide to give, and where we decide to give. I do know this. For, for us, the saints who have gone before us, especially in generations past, had a, had a better handle on this than we do. Certainly the, the builder generation and, and, the, and the silent builder generation had a better understanding of, you know, I really like that and I want to have that, but I'm going to delay my gratification and I'm going to save for that. You know, and, and something changed in our, our society, changed in our brains. And, but the saints have gone before us, did a better job. They, they, they lived this out. They lived this out in incredible ways and, and we are the beneficiaries of that. You know, the beneficiaries of the folks who gave, some of who are in this room right now, who gave to help get this church started and then who gave to get this property and this building going. We don't quite own it all yet, by the way. So we could use some more saints to help us so we can actually own this building and property. But the saints lived out and we are the beneficiaries of that. They, they poured out their lives into us, all parts of their lives, their spiritual lives, their physical lives, their emotional lives, their financial lives. They poured out their lives in us. They poured out their lives in this community. They poured out their lives into this and other churches. Leonard Sweet's a, a, 
a modern-day theologian. Some would even say he's a, he may be a prophet of the modern day. He says that Jesus' disciples, that's us, Jesus' disciples should walk into the future hearing in surround sound. Think about that for a second. Jesus' disciples should walk into the future hearing in surround sound. First, we should hear the warnings of the saints and the dead. Secondly, we should hear the longings of the living. And lastly, we should hear the beckonings of the yet to be born. The warnings of the dead, who have been there and done that before, the longings of the living, and the yet, the beckonings of the yet to be born. So as we leave today, we ask these questions. How are we going to walk as disciples of Christ? How are we going to give of our lives like the saints? And are we going to give all parts of our lives? Amen.